If you have your Bible, I invite you to join with me to Jonah chapter 3. I want to let you know that we uh, have uh, purchased in the last couple weeks uh, some Bibles for here in the sanctuary. And so uh, if you ever arrive on a Sunday and you don't have a Bible but would like to follow along, they're there in the back and are available to you. And uh, so, and it's the same version that I use, so you'll be able to follow right along. And so I uh, just uh, encourage you to remember that uh, for next time if you come in without a Bible. And as always, it's on the screen. Um, as we're reading. Jonah chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, I want to invite you to stand with me this morning in reverence to God's word as we read this third chapter of the book of Jonah. The Bible says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let him call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Then God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. You may be seated. After all of the trouble that Jonah has caused, after all of the issues, after all of the running, after all of the being swallowed by a fish and drowning and three days in the fish's belly, after all of that, Jonah finally goes where God has called him to go. And we have this interesting line as we begin verse or chapter 3 that the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. He had refused to listen, and so it took a second time of God sending a message to Jonah for Jonah to finally get it right and listen and do what God had told him to do. I want us to talk this morning in the time that we have together about God's Word. Because we see demonstrated here in chapter 3 how powerful God's Word is. 
And the unfortunate thing is that we have come to a point in the history of the church where the Word of God is no longer that valuable, at least in the eyes of many. It's not the first time that this has happened, but it is the most recent and it is in the time that we're living. We're not that far removed from a time when the Word of God was very valuable in the church of God. Where it was lifted up and respected. Where it was understood the power that was contained within God's Word. When we look at the Word of God and we think about what it is, I want to give you maybe some context before we begin looking through Jonah chapter 3. Some understanding of what it is. If you look throughout the Bible... You see the Word of God kind of referred to in two different places, two different ways, if you will. The the first is like this, in this context, the Word of God came to Jonah, and we've, we've seen this multiple times. In the Old Testament, the Word of God would come to various prophets. But when we get to the New Testament, we also see that the Bible talks about the Word of God in reference to Jesus Christ. If you go to John chapter 1 and verse 1, you you see that in the beginning was the Word. Well, it wasn't simply talking about a book or a message, but it's talking about a person. And John uses that term, Word, which in the the Greek is the word logos, and he, he uses it to refer to Jesus. And we understand, and I think it's appropriate to understand that, that today that God has given us his word and specifically he has given us the Bible as our understanding of who he is, what he has done and what he desires for us. And I hope you believe with me this morning that this word that he has given us is infallible and inerrant. It is unchanging and it is um, it is sufficient for all of our needs. It tells us who God is. It tells us of the relationship that we can have with Him. And it tells us how we can have that relationship. Specifically, we can have that relationship through His Word, Jesus Christ. But the unfortunate thing today is how little love and respect there is for God's Word. Even in the notes of my Bible, when they introduced this book, the book of Jonah, those who start out say, because it tells of a fish swallowing a man, many have dismissed the book of Jonah as fiction. But then the editors of the English Standard Bible that I'm using go on to explain why this work, this book, is anything but fiction. This is what happened to this man named Jonah. But yet we've gotten to a point in time where it's okay to just dismiss God's word. To just throw it out. And I want to tell you that if you have that desire sometimes as you read God's word and it makes you feel uncomfortable or it it says something to you that you just don't like. I want to tell you that if we get to the point where we decide we're going to dismiss God's word, what do we have left? How do we know Christ 
apart from what God has shared with us. Jonah has to learn that. He has to learn that because God's word is powerful. And he sees, fully demonstrated here in chapter 3, how powerful God's word was. He didn't seem to understand it back in chapter 1. But God pursues him throughout chapter 1. He pursues him in chapter 2. God, God follows after him and God demonstrates powerfully how much his word can do. And so we come to chapter 3 and we are given this great insight into how powerful God's word is. And I, I want you to think about that, especially in the context of, of where we live today and, and how our society is going because it's going to come to a point, and it's not far away. Five or six years ago, I would have said it was a lot further away than I believe it is now. Where the Bible is going to hold almost no value. Even in many places that call themselves churches. And we're going to have to make a decision. Is God's word really the powerful thing that it claims to be? Or can we simply dismiss it? So look with me beginning in verse 1. We see in verses 1 through 3 that God's word, the word of God, is a call to obey. This is probably the trickiest place when it comes to seeing the place of God's word in our contemporary context. Because we don't like anything that calls on us to obey it. Because we believe as a society, and many of you may believe this, I at different points believe this, that we are so ruggedly independent that we get to make our own destiny, set our own course, and make our own decisions. That's what Jonah does in chapter 1. He says, God, you have told me to do this, but I'm going to go in this direction. You want me to go to Nineveh, I'm going to go to Tarshish. He said, I'm going to make my own decisions and go in my own direction. But the Word of God is not like that. The Word of God is not, hey, do what you want to do. The Word of God tells us what God has said and what God wants us to do. Therefore, the Word of God is a call to obey. Look, beginning in verse 1, Then the Word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, what? Verse 2, go do whatever you want to. I don't think that's what your version says. Mine says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Two commands that God gives him right here. I want you to get up and go to the place I told you to go in the first place, and you didn't listen. Get up and go to Nineveh, and once you get there, you can do whatever you want, right? No, he says, once you get there, you're going to call out the message that I tell you. As a matter of fact, he says, you're going to call out against Nineveh. Now, I don't think we need to rehash everything from the last three weeks, but Nineveh is not going to be a place, most likely, that's going to be very receptive of the message that Jonah has. So his message is not to go to Nineveh and tell them that everybody's great, they have no problems, and sin doesn't exist. That's not the message, correct? The message is not simply God loves you and He wants you to have your best life today and He wants you to have all kinds of money. I, that's not what it says. And I don't read Hebrew and neither do you, but that's not what it says in Hebrew either. What does it say? What is the message? 
We see in verse 4 what the message is. Yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. It was not a very exciting message. It was a message of destruction. It was a message of God's judgment. It was a message that they need to get their lives straightened up. That they need to do better because their sins had come up before God. He knew about their evil and he was not happy with it. Now that's not a very popular message. People who have that message don't pack out arenas. But occasionally they go to cities, large, great, exceedingly great cities, and they're supposed to preach that message. And so what does Jonah do? Verse 3, it says, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. Now if you go back into chapter 1, Jonah rose to flee, verse 3 of chapter 1, to flee to Tarshish. So we get to chapter 3, verse 3. Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. The word is a call to obey. And that's one of the things that I fear we have lost in so many churches that I've ever come in contact with. Is that we fail to tell people. That if you want to follow after God, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to ask Jesus in your heart, whatever term we want to use for it, we don't tell people that it's going to be a call to obey. Because it's not cool, it's not trendy, it's not popular, it's not whatever is supposed to be in. Our church health consultants don't tell us that that, that will do the thing that will make our churches grow big and get all kinds of people in and get lots of money in the offering plate and, and build up a lot of hype. But that's what God's Word is. It, it's not a call to, to come to the front of the church one time and, and get wet in a baptistry and go and do whatever you want to. It's a call to spend your life living in God's Word and by doing so, discovering what God wants for you, His plan for your life, His direction for your life, and then obeying that. And that seems like a a downer. It doesn't seem very popular. It doesn't seem very exciting. And yet, those people in life who have decided that they are going to follow Jesus and obey Him are the people who have been filled with the most joy. God doesn't call on us to obey Him because He is mean, because He is a killjoy, because He doesn't want us to ever have any fun in life. He does that because the only joy that is available to you in this life is in obedience to God. There may be happiness... There may be temporary pleasure available in the things of the world, but the honest truth is the only joy that is available is in our obedience to God. And so here's a man in Jonah who has the opportunity to obey God and in so doing find true joy, but we'll see next week that he doesn't because Jonah's got a lot deeper issues than just going to Nineveh. But the Word of God is a call to obey. To obey the things that are easy and make us happy. To obey the things that are hard and lead us to places maybe we don't want to go. That's the call of the Word of God. And Jonah has that call placed on his life. He's called to obey. But look, second thing. We see that the Word of God 
is the message. Now, follow me on this one. First part of verse 2, chapter 3, verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message I tell you. And then look in verse 4. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. So it's three days across Nineveh. He goes one day's journey into Nineveh, and he begins to call out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Friends, the, the good news for us is that the Word of God is the message that we have. Now that seems pretty self-explanatory, doesn't it? But unfortunately, it's not. Think of the number of places, again, that call themselves churches that you could walk into this morning. And someone who was standing up here, like I am, who's supposedly a preacher, is preaching a message. And if, the, if, you, were go, if you were to go to God's Word and, and read every single word that is in here, every single page, you would find nothing comparable to what they were saying. It wasn't even close. You know, one of the reasons that so many preachers have a lot of trouble getting their messages together is because they're trying to make it up. They're they're going and trying to find something that they can make up to make everybody happy. So guess what? Next week, I know this is crazy, but next week I'm going to flip over to page the next page and we're going to look at chapter 4. A friend of mine has, he puts it like this. He says that a lot of people, a lot of pastors will get up and they'll read the, the scripture and then they'll leave the text never to return. And I, I've seen it and you've seen it too. You've been somewhere and someone will read a verse and they'll say, okay, I'm going to read Micah chapter one, verse one, and they'll read it and then they'll close their Bibles and they'll go on and do something else. It's like this had to be tagged on so that it would be a church service. You know, if you didn't tag this on, then it was just a motivational speech. But once you read one verse of the Bible, you're good. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. See, the Word of God is the message. What does he go? He, what does he do? He goes and he just proclaims to them God's Word. God had said, go to the city. And tell them the message that I have for you. He goes to the city and he says, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. We go back into chapter 1 and we see where he says, arise. This is God talking. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. We don't need another message. Because no other message will work. No other message will satisfy. There's no other message that that is going to give people hope. Again, think about it. There'll be people who stand behind podium-shaped things and buildings with crosses on them. And they'll get up and they'll say something today that's just not here. You just can't find it in this book. And there'll be people sitting out there where you are, and they'll, they'll be excited. They'll have a big smile on their face. They might even clap their hands. And yet, they're going to leave with this false sense of, 
of hope or security or some nonsense that they got because someone stood here and told them something that wasn't true. But the fact of the matter is that that this word is powerful. And we don't need something else. We, we might live in a generation and in a culture that doesn't really like what this book says because it is a call to obedience, but it remains, whether they like it or not, their only hope. And if we tell them something different, then they're never going to know the truth. Because what happens if Jonah goes to Nineveh? And he walks a day's journey in. And remember, he's nasty. He's smelly. His face and, and, and skin is probably uh, scalded from the, uh, from the acid in the stomach of the fish. This guy is a side. What if he, he walks in and he walks a day into the city and he stands there and he, he lifts up his hands to cry out and he says, everything's okay. And so the people in Nineveh, they, they look at him and he's a sight. He's a frightening looking guy and they walk on. And maybe he walks another day's journey in. He's, he's just past the center of the city and he gets there and he lifts up his arms and he says, everything's okay. In 40 days, God wipes out Nineveh because he doesn't share with them the message. Well, friends, that's what's happening all around us. There are people in our community who are living as if they are okay, as if their life is fine, as if everything is together. They're, they're living like that because someone has stood before them at some point and lifted up his hands and said, everything is okay. When the Bible tells us that everything's not okay. That apart from Christ, we have no hope. That without our repentance, without our turning from our sin, there is no hope. And yet we have buildings with crosses on the top of them. Occupied by men who say everything's okay. Friends, the word of God is the only message that we have. It's the only message that people need and we must remember that. Thirdly, verse 5, the word of God is convicting. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Now listen, Jonah's message, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That was enough. Just, just that one sentence. Remember, this is an exceedingly great city. It is, it is large. It is full of, of tens of thousands of people. It takes three days to walk from one side to the other. And all he does is stand there and say, 40 days, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh, they're broken because of this message from God. See, sometimes, and we don't do this near enough, 
Sometimes we need to read in this book and when we get done, not be happy. Sometimes we need to read in this book and when we get finished, be broken. See, we like to get our daily devotionals, right? And the daily devotionals are almost always peppy. You know, it's a pep talk for the morning. Go out there and win one for the Gipper today type thing. But if you read all of God's Word, sometimes you're going to get halfway through what you had set aside for your reading and close it because you can't take anymore. Sometimes you're going to be reading it and it's going to point at you. And it's going to do so in such a way as your heart is going to be crushed under the weight of what God's Word has said. And if that never happens, let me give you some suggestions of places to read after the service. Because that's what God's Word does. See, God doesn't put us out there to make sure that we always have this great and perfect day. Sometimes we are straying so far from God that He uses His Word to convict us of our sin and pull us back to Him. And he does this because of his great love for us. Because if we continue down this path that we're going, he knows where it goes. He knows that it leads to destruction. So he reaches down and he pulls us back in. That's what he does with the people of Nineveh. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be destroyed. And it's enough to convict their hearts that they become broken about their sin. The Bible says here that they... They called for a fast and put on sackcloth. Sackcloth was this, this, this clothing you would put on as a sign of your mourning, a sign of your brokenness. It was humbling yourself. They become broken about their sin. Friends, we need God's Word to do that for us. I don't care how old you are in here. I don't care how long you have been a Christian. And none of that, all of that is irrelevant. To the fact that this is what God's Word does. So here's the problem. If, as in the last point, if our message is something different than God's Word, then when we give this false message, it will never convict people. And if people's hearts are never convicted of their sin, they will never come to Christ. No one goes to Christ no one comes to Christ, no one's saved by Christ if they don't realize that they're sinful. They don't see a need for it. So if we change the message, it messes up how God is working in His Word. I'm not saying He can't overcome us because He does that every day. But God has called us to give his word because when, he, when we do, it becomes so convicting and it shows people their sin. And friends, we need to allow it. We need to make sure it is continuing to do that in our life. If you want to try it out, see if it works. Think about something you've got going on that you know you're not living up to God's standard. Go out and find some verses about it. Go out and find where Paul talks about it, where Christ talks about it, where one of the prophets talk about it, and see if God's word does not pierce your heart. If it doesn't, 
you need to find those verses to talk about how to be saved in Christ. Because that's what God's word does to his children. It pierces our heart. Look fourthly. It's convicting. But it's verse 5. The end of verse 5 tags on something very interesting. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And then look in verse 6. The word, this is the word that Jonah has given, reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. You've got to realize at the time when this happens, Nineveh is one of the greatest and most powerful cities on earth. It controls some of the most powerful territory on earth. So, therefore, the king of Nineveh must be one of the most powerful men on earth. And yet when this word comes, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be destroyed. The king of Nineveh is convicted. The word of God pierces his heart. And so the Bible tells us that he removes his royal robe. He puts on sackcloth and he goes and he sits or he sits in ashes. He humbles himself. Those days are long gone for people of power, right? I mean, come on, there's, there's no way. I don't care what political party you are, whether you liked Reagan or Bush or Clinton or Bush or Obama, whichever one you liked. If you didn't like any of them, you probably got more sense than everybody else in the room, but, you know, politicians and such. But, uh, Can you imagine if one of them had done this? I mean, it's the equivalent thing, right? What if one of them, what if a president of the United States got so broken about the spiritual condition of our country? I'm not saying he goes out and he tells everyone that they've got to become a Christian or a Southern Baptist. We're not getting into that junk. But let's say that one of the presidents of the United States became so broken about the spiritual condition of our world. That he would humble himself. That he would fast. That he would pray. That God would do something for our country. Because here's the deal. If Jonah showed up in Washington, security's pretty tight there. He walks up to the front of the White House and he says, Yet 40 days in Washington shall be overthrown. He would shoot that guy in a second. He would never get in to speak to the president. That word would never get there. They would take care of it. They would handle it, right? But what if somebody did? Well, we would ready our defenses, right? We would, we would put our nuclear weapons on high alert. We would build up the military. We would be prepared for whatever. The furthest thing from the minds of anybody in Washington would be to repent, to humble ourselves and pray. And yet the word of God is so powerful that it can humble the most powerful king on the face of the earth. And friends, I still believe that though we will probably never see it, that it can still happen. That God's word is much more powerful than any king or president or senator or congressman. It is infinitely more powerful. 
And it still has that ability to humble kings because we understand that at the word of God, one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess. It won't matter if your address is on Highway 70 in Eichard or at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That's how powerful the Word of God is. And it's one of the reasons that we don't need to dilute the message. We don't want to change. We better not change the messages because it is the message that is powerful enough to humble kings. But it not only humbles kings, but look in verses 7 through 9, it also humbles sinners. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Nineveh was a proud city. They had no one to be afraid of. Nineveh was heavily fortified. Their defenses were strong. Their armies were powerful. There was nobody out there that was going to come and conquer Nineveh in 40 days. There was no army that was going to march on Nineveh and take over. They had nothing to worry about. This was an evil place where they did very vile and wicked things to people. They did some of the most horrific things you could imagine to other people. And yet this word, this this word that came from God, yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. The sentence because it was from the lips of God, was so powerful that this proud city, this exceedingly great city with nothing to fear, they are humbled before God. They are humbled before this one prophet who has walked into this city just a mile. He walks in and utters this one sentence and the entire place is humbled by the message of God. See, the Word of God continues to humble sinners. Some of you in this room, you once lived lives that were very wicked. Your sin was great. It cost you maybe a lot. And yet it wasn't a preacher. It wasn't a musician, it wasn't a politician or someone in society that humbled you, that drove you from your sin and drove you to your knees humble before God. It was His Word. And that still works. That's still how God functions. 
He continues even today to humble sinners with His Word. And the unfortunate thing is if we decide we're going to give some other message beside the one that God has given us, it will never humble sinners. If we give a message that tells people that they can be good enough to get to God, how is someone who is trapped in sin ever going to be good enough? Or if we tell people they don't have to do anything to get to God, God, they are in God and they're going to heaven no matter what they do, why would they stop in their sin? I saw yesterday where, where the Pope excommunicated the Italian mafia. Just one fell swoop, they're all gone. And I saw that and I went, why was that necessary? Why would you believe if you're in the mob that you're going to heaven? Those two things don't seem to compute, right? See, we realize that when God gets a hold of us, when, when we are deeply entangled in our sin and God grabs us and pulls us out of that, that swamp, that bog of sin that we're stuck in, when he pulls us out, we're humbled. And there's a change in our life. That's what the message does. It's what the word does. And that's why we are obedient to it because it humbles sinners. These people who are proud are humbled. They do not eat neither man nor beast, herd nor flock. They do not drink any water. They're covered with sackcloth, even down to their animals. They are so broken about their sin. And he says, let everyone turn from the evil that he was doing. The king knew his people because he was one of them. He knew that they were evil. He knew that he was evil. And he says, let's turn from our sin because if we do, maybe God will spare us. You know, as I was looking at this, it dawned on me. You know, God made a covenant with his people, right? With the people of Israel. He makes a covenant with them and he promises that if they obey him, he will love them. If they, if he, if they obey him, he will keep his promises. If they will obey him, he will bless them. Have you ever seen the covenant that God made with Nineveh? He didn't make one. There's not a covenant that God made with Nineveh. He's going on faith. He says, who knows? Maybe God will relent. Maybe God will not destroy us. We don't know. know, We've been very evil. We have done terrible things in the sight of God. We have not been humble before Him. Who knows if He'll destroy us or not. But we are going to turn from our sin and hope. And hope that God does not destroy us in 40 days like He has said. That leads us to the last one. The Word of God is good news. See, the word of God is good news because God offers his forgiveness to these people who do not deserve it. Not only does he offer them forgiveness, but God sends them a messenger to share with them God's word. Think about the trouble that God goes through to get a messenger to Nineveh. He almost destroys a ship. He sends a storm. He has a fish swallow a man for three days all so that they can hear this message of his word. He loves them that much 
that He would send His Word to them so that they would have opportunity. Listen, what they deserved is that God would set a day 40 days ahead, tell them nothing, and wipe them off the face of the planet. That's what they deserved. That's the evil that they had done. God should have just wiped them off the face of the planet. We would have never heard of Nineveh again. They would have been gone. But instead, his message is good news because he sends a messenger so that they can hear what God has said. See, when the Word of God came to Jonah, he ran the first time. But when the Word of God comes to the people of Nineveh, they repent. They fall on their faces before him. They humble themselves and they repent. See, the Word of God is good news because we... We were just like Nineveh. As a matter of fact, compare the state of our country and our society to what we read about with them, and I don't see a lot of difference. And yet God, in His Word, He is so good. Because even though we were undeserving, even though our evil had come up before Him and He hated our evil, He sent Christ to die for us. He he sent a messenger to bring us His Word. And it wasn't a prophet who was disobedient and ran off. It was His one and only Son who He gave in our place. Man, that's good news. Because see, listen, this is what we deserved. We deserve for God somewhere in eternity to set in motion 40 days or one day or one minute and say, I'm going to destroy them. We look at Genesis chapter 3 and we see where Adam and Eve sinned and God could have destroyed them in that moment. We look further in Genesis and we see the story of Noah and we see that the entire world was wicked except for one man. And God spares us. We see the people of God come out of Egypt and time after time after time they disobey and God wants to destroy them. It's God's purpose we hear to destroy them. But God relents when Moses says, don't don't destroy them. Give them another chance. And friends, when God looks at you and he sees your sin and he does not see his son, you're worthy to be destroyed. You don't think you're that bad. You look at the world around you and you think, I'm, I'm a middle-class Caucasian American in the South. I'm a pretty good guy. But God sees your sin and the wickedness of your heart. And he could just destroy you. And yet instead, in his compassion, he sends a messenger to give you his word. This, this powerful Word, this word that convicts and this word that instructs, and he gives us this word. And the Bible tells us that his word became flesh and dwelt among us. His word is Christ. 
who preached to us the good news, who told us of his redemption and forgiveness and love. And then he died in our place to make that forgiveness and redemption possible. And so, friends, I want to encourage you with this. Two things, and we'll close. If you do not know Christ, and some of you are here this morning, and you don't know him, If Nineveh does not turn, they would have been destroyed. But God's desire is that none would perish. Even the most vile, wicked person from Nineveh. Person who had, who had done the most evil, God wants to save them. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, that's what God wants to do. He wants to save you in Christ. He has given you his word, the message of hope and redemption and forgiveness. No matter what you have done or how far you have ran, God wants to forgive you and show you his love. And today's the day he wants you to come to him. But secondly, if you know Christ this morning, I want to encourage you with this. The biggest temptation, biggest temptation that I believe that we face is the temptation to change his message. It's the temptation to make his message be something other than what it is. Because we live in a world that hates his message. Most of them hate it because they've never heard it and they don't know anything about it. Many of them hate it because it's a call to obey. It's a call to listen to God. It's a call to follow his commands. It's a call to be different from the world, and they don't want that. Whatever their reasoning or hesitation is, if you are in Christ, the call that God has placed on your life is to share his word. And let whatever happens, happen. I want to encourage you to avoid that temptation. You may say, oh, I'm not the preacher. I don't even teach Sunday school. No, trust me. You go to work tomorrow. There's the temptation to change his message. Many of us do it when we just don't say anything. That's telling people they're okay. There's no message to hear here. You don't, don't, you don't need to worry about it. There's nothing to see. Just, just keep going about your life. You're fine. We've changed his message. That temptation faces you. And you must combat it. Because the message of God, the word of God, is the only thing that can save. And without it, the people around us have no hope. Come to Christ. And share his word. We bow your heads with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, God, we're grateful that today we have hope in you. We have peace and grace in you. We have the opportunity to know you. God, you have sent to us the great messenger who is your word. 
And everything that he said came directly from your lips. Because not only is he your word, but Christ is our God. And Heavenly Father, I know that there are those here this morning who do not know you. They may be members of our church. They may have been in church their entire life, but they don't know you. God, I pray that you would speak to their heart. That they would receive your message and your word. And God, I pray that you would combat our temptation to change the message God, sometimes we are tempted to soften its blow to, God, to make people feel better than they really are. God, I just pray that, that we would be faithful, faithful to your message and faithful to your word. And that, God, we would allow you to work because your word, it calls us to obey. It's, a, it's such a powerful word. A word that instructs us, a, a word that helps us, a word that guides us. God, your, your word is one that will humble the proud and humble the sinner. Your word is such good news to us. God, I just pray that we would be faithful to it. That we would obey. God, I pray that your word convicts our hearts when we run. But God, it shows us your great hope. And no matter how far we run, God, you're there with us. So, God, I pray that you just speak during this time of invitation. God, help us to listen to you. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.